May I speak to you in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The story of Jesus turning the water into wine in the Gospel is one of my favorites. I've always enjoyed the story, so much so that I had it as a reading at my own weddings more than 37 years ago. It's not one of the recommended readings that you'll find in the prayer book. But because I liked it and it seemed to be kind of fun, um, I chose it, with my wife's blessing, of course. <laughs> and a bishop who married us preached on it. I'm not sure what he said, but it took him more than 20 minutes to say it. <laughs> the story is the first of Jesus' signs after he began his public ministry. And it occurred at the beginning of the second chapter of the Gospel of John. It says, three days later, the first day would have been Jesus' baptism, the second day would have been the calling of his disciples, and the third day he was at a wedding. So he really gets off to a running start. And it is an uplifting story. The guests were celebrating the marriage. We don't know who got married, but it was in a Galilean town, not far from where Jesus grew up. Everything was going smoothly until it was discovered that the hosts had miscalculated. They didn't have enough wine. And the hospitality, which was a very great, important factor in ancient culture in Israel, their hospitality would have been questioned. When the wine ran out, it would have been an embarrassment. But suddenly there were six more jugs each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Now there was wine aplenty, even better than original, and their revelry could continue unabated. Something new happened at that wedding celebration, something more than just a flashy parlor trick. Everything has been changed, declares Walter Brueggemann, the theologian. The act of water to wine exhibits Christ's regal splendor his godness that will eventuate in his death and resurrection. Miracles are not performed for the point of doing something unusual or even something supernatural. Those events would soon be forgotten or turned into fables of the past. But Jesus did his first miracle to demonstrate that God was in charge. God was changing the rules. He was rewriting the game plan. Everything was changing. The old will become new. It was a sign, a sign of things to come. Epiphany is a season of signs. These few weeks remind us about how God was working to reveal his divine glory to all the world. The visit of the Magi pointed to Jesus' kingship as these mysterious men from the East came to worship him. So also, last week we heard of Jesus' baptism. It was not a washing away of sins from the sinless one, but an opportunity for God to reveal the divine favor on his only begotten Son. Today we read, Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. In this season, we see the new revelation of God in Christ, it is a way that God continually seeks to reconcile himself to a sin-sick and estranged humanity. These signs show that everything is changing and being made new, that God is not satisfied with the status quo. 
When the fullness of time had come, St. Paul writes, God sent his son in the fullness of time. The original plan, which had focused on the special calling of Israel, had to be enlarged to reach everyone. Much of the conflict Jesus encountered in this life was about this new mandate. He had to reach the entire world, which became known in apostolic times as the mission to the Gentiles. This is the other revelation of Epiphany, that Jesus is not just sent to righteous Jews, but to everyone, everywhere. As St. Luke recalls in the Song of Simeon, Jesus is a light to enlighten the nations and the glory of his people Israel. Suddenly everything was changing, and all this because of the person of God, Jesus. He is the one who shook up everyone's reality by his mission of radical change. It began with a miracle. It started on the third day after his baptism. As St. John tells the story, there is no time to waste. God's mission is urgent. Too often, I think we're complacent and satisfied with our own lives, too comfortable to make any changes that will challenge what we take for granted, not recognizing the urgency of our time. As we remember the birth of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King this weekend, we see in him an unwillingness to be satisfied with the status quo as well. The old ways no longer worked. In fact, the reality of life for people of color had gotten progressively worse in the 20th century with lynching, Jim Crow laws, legalized racism. When a few bold and faithful souls dared to challenge the segregation and overt prejudice that denied people their civil rights, they found a standard bearer in Dr. King. His passionate faith and preaching, along with his strategic nonviolent resistance, pushed the culture to change in the face of great personal danger. But he recognized and realized that it was time for a change, that now was no time to delay the justice that had been denied. He wrote from a jail cell in Birmingham, for years now I have heard the word, wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. Yes, God was doing something new in Dr. King. God shared in his audacious dream, audacious dream, that in some distant tomorrow, the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine over our great nation with all their scintillating beauty. Dr. King's dream lives on. God continues to do new and surprising things. We still have prophets and martyrs in our own day, some of whom are known, but most are obscure, and doing the will of God quietly, without recognition. There are many people who pay it forward in many different ways, ranging from small acts of kindness to great personal sacrifice. It is a joy to see those thank you signs posted in people's yards, often appearing in a little red heart, right? Mm. Expressing our gratitude for the many people laboring behind the scenes we have so long taken for granted. The move towards a living wage is one positive thing that has resulted from our current pandemic. 
While this may have temporarily brought about an uncomfortable rise in inflation, it has also revealed how much we rely on the efforts of those we now call essential workers. We do this because it is the right thing to do. As Dr. King once quoted, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. You and I are blessed. We're gathered here, whether in person or virtually, to enjoy God's blessings that far exceed the wonders of the miracle at Cana. We take for granted the many things that enrich our lives, so much more than the wine that saved the wedding reception so long ago. God's abundance is so clear. And in response, we are called to be gracious and generous, transforming the ordinary into the extraordinary through our love for one another. Like Jesus, we must reject the status quo, the life of malice and evil, giving liberally to address the needs of others. This season of Epiphany signals that everything has changed. And Jesus' first miracle at the celebration in Cana revealed just that. Not only was water changed to wine, but the transformation anticipated Jesus' ministry of healing and salvation. His last miracle, perhaps, at the Last Supper and on the cross, the cup of wine would be changed into his blood, shed for all for the forgiveness of sins. The last miracle echoing the first. At Cana, Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. They recognized the signs that this man was no ordinary rabbi, but an extraordinary, indeed, the Son of God. The time had not yet come for the world to accept him, but we have heard the stories. We know the power that he has to change the world, and so we believe. May that change be found in our hearts this day and always. Amen.